This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. My name is Nicole, I'm your host, and I am thrilled to have you here. So, what is on the examination table for this episode? Well, we are going to be looking at 2020's Relic, a film that looks at uh, disability and disability themes through the perspective of the aging population. You're dealing with characters uh, impacted by Alzheimer's dementia. You're dealing with topics around caregiving. So I'm really excited to dig into this episode a bit because while we've talked about the intersection of aging and ableism a bit, I think, you know, this is definitely a piece of that puzzle. And so I kind of want to start before we get into the film to talk a little bit about aging and ableism and that intersection because, you know, sometimes it can seem a bit odd to be like, well, why are you talking about uh, the impacts of aging associated with disability? How do these things connect? And I kind of want to just lay that out uh, pretty bare here at the top to kind of set a, a good foundation for us. So what is ageism? Ageism is the conglomeration of stereotypes around older individuals that frame them as being um, incapable um, or dependent on others for care. Now we can obviously see how that connects to ableism and the similar structure of stereotypes of individuals with disabilities being incapable and needing of additional care and how all of that is framed in a very negative way. These very similar stereotypes in structure are used to assign a lesser value to those populations. Now, while these ideas aren't new by any stretch of the imagination, I think one of the interesting things that has been interesting to note is how our exploration of the intersection between ageism and ableism has shifted as the demographics, especially here in the U.S., have shifted with there being a much larger aging population, the baby boomer generation. One of the things that you'll often hear uh, talked about in news is the caregiving crisis, how the population of individuals aging and that are in need or going to be in need of care and additional supports is so large that there's simply not the number to provide that care and thus you get the caregiving crisis or the caregiving shortage. These changing demographics have certainly had a huge impact on the cultural conversation around disability and aging. And we see that playing out in film. In recent years, we've had 
not just Relic, but films like The Taking of Deborah Logan and even The Visit that put these topics out there in, I think, unique ways and tackle things like Alzheimer's, dementia, aging, caregiving in a much different way than what we may have seen previously. So with all of that said, let's get into Relic. When was the last time you spoke to her? It's been a few weeks. Gran? Mom? Mom? She called me a few weeks ago. I think she was scared. She thought someone was coming into the house. Do you know where you were, Mum? I suppose I went out. What's this? I was on the property when your grandfather inherited it. His mind wasn't there in the end. You can't put Gran in a home. She can't live on her own anymore. She has to be watched. Everything all right, Gran? I thought this was where it got in. Who? Whoever was coming into the house. Mum, what is it? It's here. Under the bed. There's nothing under the bed, Mum. Will you check for me? to help you, Mum. I can see you. <laughs> this house seems unfamiliar. Alright, so let's get into the plot synopsis. When Edna, the demented, elderly, and widowed matriarch of the family goes missing, her daughter Kay and granddaughter Sam travel to their remote family home to find her. They discover the house locked from the inside in a strange black mold-like substance on an upstairs wall. Much of the furniture has been adorned with post-it notes with reminders for Edna. That night, Sam is visited by their young neighbor, Jamie, who states that he had not been able to visit Edna for a while after his father had told him not to go back to the house. Sam and Kay grow increasingly disturbed by a loud creaking from inside the walls and the appearance of more black mold throughout the house. Kay experiences nightmares of a, with of a withered, rotting corpse in an old shack in the woodlands. The next morning, Kay finds Edna has returned barefoot and muddied, and unaware of her own disappearance. Following a visit from a doctor, Edna is found to be 
mostly of sound mind and without injury, with the exception of a large black bruise on her chest, resembling that of the mold. Kay tells Sam that she plans to move Edna into a retirement home, given her self-neglect. That night, Kay awakes to find Edna sleepwalking toward the front door, whispering, It's nothing. After being brought back to bed, Edna is convinced there is something hiding in the room and urges Kay to check under the bed. Kay sees something breathing but is distracted before she can investigate further. The next day, Sam and her grandmother share a tender moment until Edna suddenly grows cold and accuses Sam of stealing from her. She snatches the ring off of Sam's finger, not remembering that she had gifted Sam this ring. Following another violent event involving Edna, Sam visits Jamie's father, Alex, to ask why he stopped letting Jamie visit. Alex reveals that the last time Jamie visited, the pair state played hide-and-seek. However, Edna mistakenly locked Jamie in his hiding space and left him there for hours, forgetting that she had even seen him that day. Back at the house, Kay follows Edna into the garden where she finds her tearing pages from family photo from a family photo album and frantically eating them. When Kay tries to intervene, Edna bites her and storms off, attempting to bury the album in the soil, claiming it will be safer there. Fearing something may come to get her, Edna softens and agrees to let Kay take care of her. Sam discovers a hidden passageway to another part of the house. She enters but becomes lost as the corridor begins to loop. Disoriented and afraid, she resorts to screaming and banging on the walls. Edna's condition seems to have worsened again. She now glares at Kay mistrustfully and refuses to eat and wets herself. Kay notices her mother's urine is stained black. As Edna bays, she scratches at what was once her bruise but is now rotting black flesh. The bath water overflows and reacts with an electric heater, causing the house's power to go out. Sam travels deeper into the corridors. The ceilings slope lower, forcing her to crawl. She eventually escapes by knocking holes through the molded walls. Kay finds Edna, much to her horror, picking at her rotting face with a knife. Kay and Sam flee into the passageway, hearing Edna approaching. Edna, now disfigured and physically contorted, crawls towards them. She attempts to pin down Sam before, uh, before beginning to beat Kay. Wheezing the decaying, Edna gestures toward a post-it note on the floor labeled, I am loved, and smiles. Kay realizes that the walls of the house are no longer rotting and returns to her corpse-like mother to carry her to bed. She helps Edna peel away the last remnants of her hair and flesh to reveal her final form, a withered, rotting corpse like the one in Kay's nightmares. Kay and Sam then lay on the bed with Edna until she peacefully falls asleep. The film ends with Sam noticing a very small black bruise on the nape of Kay's neck, resembling that of Edna's initial bruise, suggesting that in time, Kay will suffer a similar fate as her mother. One thing to make clear here from the very beginning as we talk about Relic is that even though Edna is not officially given a diagnosis of 
dementia or Alzheimer's. In fact, you know, she does get kind of a well check done uh, when she returns and seems fine. Um, this film is very much an allegory of the kind of process of uh, experiencing and caring for someone with Alzheimer's or another form of dementia. Now I'm going to be talking a lot about Alzheimer's in describing uh, Edna's condition, although it is important to know that there are other kinds of dementia as well, but Alzheimer's is the most prevalent form of dementia, making up about 60 to 80 percent of the cases. So I just want to make that sure I'm not operating off of, you know, a diagnosis that has been officially established in the film. I feel a little bit more comfortable in doing so because the director of the film and co-writer was inspired by her own experience with Alzheimer's. She had visited her uh, grandmother who had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's in Japan and had the experience of being with her grandmother and her grandmother not knowing who she was, not recognizing her. And so this was really, uh, you know, part of what inspired her to uh, create the story. So I, I feel a little bit more comfortable using Alzheimer's as kind of the catch-all diagnosis here. But again, just want to make sure that people understand that there are other forms of dementia that present differently as well. So what is Alzheimer's? Well, Alzheimer's is a specific kind of dementia that impacts an individual's cognition, their memory, and behavior. And it is a progressive illness, something that may start as, you know, some lapses in memory, um, things that may feel commonplace or things that we associate as commonplace as we age. And I'll get to that in a bit, um, to more severe symptoms, which, um, you know, I think are more demonstrated by these abrupt changes in behavior where someone can act out of character with uh, aggression or um, other kind of changes in behavior like that. So what causes Alzheimer's? Well, this is a complicated question, but I love the way that the Alzheimer's Association website breaks it down. And I'll link this in the show notes. So it's caused by damaged nerve cells in the brain that essentially make the communication and function of different parts of the brain limited or um, impaired. What is kind of attributed to this damage are two things. The first thing is called plaques. And plaques are deposits of a specific protein fragment that build up in the spaces between nerve cells. And then there are tangles. Tangles are twisted fibers of another protein that build up inside cells. And scientists do not know exactly what role 
they play um, in the development of Alzheimer's. Most experts believe they somehow play a critical role in blocking, again, that communication path among these nerve cells and disrupting processes that allow cells to survive. As these nerve cells die, that's where you start to see the symptoms of Alzheimer's, the memory loss, the changes in behavior and mood, things like that. So let's talk about how Alzheimer's is depicted here in Relic with Edna. Edna has disappeared from home and wandering is something that individuals with Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia do experience. They lose track of where they are, get lost, um, and will leave and not tell uh, a family member or friend, whomever, and that's how that kind of presents here. Edna has gone off. We never find out where she has been. We assume somewhere out in kind of the wooded area around mm -hmm. where the film takes place. Another telltale sign, one that is only kind of shown for a second, but is really, really important, is that once Sam and Kay have entered the home, they're kind of looking around, we see the post-it notes, but we also see a bowl of spoiled fruit. One of the things that I do with my work, I think I've mentioned on the pod that my work is in supporting family caregivers. So one of the things that we do uh, in kind of providing some support and resources for family caregivers is if an individual is a long distance caregiver, so someone that doesn't live with their loved one, but is still kind of checking in on them, providing supports, kind of arranging things from afar, if you will. One of the things that we always talk about is that when you do go and visit with them is to be on the lookout for things like spoiled food, um, mail that has piled up that they haven't gone through, to check through things like bank statements to see if there's any kind of unusual spending, things like that, because it's an indication that whether it be due to uh, something related to memory um, or kind of cognitive abilities or any other kind of factor, these can be a sign that someone needs additional support. So I, I found that a really interesting uh, addition here because she's only been missing for a few days at this time uh, because someone knows that they had seen her a few days previously. So um, I think that's uh, that that's a really interesting and important addition. Now this is all obviously part of making sure that an individual's environment, home environment, whether it's a house, apartment, whatever, is safe. And you see this, uh, that both Sam and Kay are kind of going through the house, looking at things, kind of doing their own types of assessments to make sure, to kind of help not just figure out what 
may have happened to Edna, but kind of getting a sense of, you know, was she doing okay? Because we know that Kay had not spoken to her mom in a few weeks. And so this is really just kind of getting away of the land. And part of that is also seeing that first bit of mold that they see um, kind of high up on a place in the wall. Disrepair and things like that are also things that you have to be on the lookouts, part of that safety and making sure that the environment that your loved one is in is comfortable and safe. Now, once Edna gets home, we do see other aspects of Alzheimer's and dementia starting to play out. For me, I, I was really intrigued by the moment where she's being checked out She's come home. She doesn't seem to remember where she's been or how long she's been gone. She seems to know that she had left, but doesn't talk about where she went. She doesn't seem to have a sense of how long she's gone. It seems like she mentions, well, I must have just went out. So she thinks that she may have been gone only a very short time when, in fact, it was days. So... Kay and Sam do exactly the proper thing and get her checked out. They have someone come into the home and, you know, look at her to make sure that physically she's doing okay. And the nurse also asks some very specific questions to kind of gauge how she's doing mentally uh, with memory and uh, just kind of those basic bits of cognition. So we see this play out and Edna does extremely well. She seems to be fine physically with the exception of the bruise and she seems to be able to recall birth dates and follow instruction and have a sense of where she is. All of these things check out, but what is, I think, important to note here is that the bruise that Edna has on her chest is not really small by any stretch of the imagination, but it's smaller. It's a bruise. And so much like what in going through the description of Alzheimer's, it's a progressive illness. So when someone is in the early stages of Alzheimer's, it could just be these moments where, you know, they're struggling with memory um, and things like that. And it doesn't have to be a constant thing. It can be something that happens every once in a while. Even individuals that have progressed with the illness to a more advanced degree, you often hear people talk about good days and bad days where, you know, they can go periods of time, a day, whatever, um, with no issues. You know, they're, they're not, uh, forgetting anything. They, their behavior seems consistent, no kind of hiccups along those routes. So I think it's important to note that we're 
clearly in probably some of these early stages of these symptoms. We see the progression of these symptoms in a very similar way to what I described in kind of describing Alzheimer's. While everything seems fine with Edna at the very start, we start to notice some changes in behavior. The first kind of, I think, highlight of this is her moments with Sam. We see her give Sam a ring and they have a very sweet moment about it. It's obvious that they are very close. The following day or two, I don't think it's necessarily clear, um, they are spending time together and Edna notices that Sam is wearing the ring and seems to have completely forgotten that she has given the ring to Sam. Now, it's not just the fact that she has forgotten that she has given the ring to Sam, but that she becomes accusatory and aggressive towards her, that she accuses Sam of stealing the ring and acts very physically aggressive towards her to get the ring back to the point that Sam just kind of takes it off and says, here you go. Edna also seems to be experiencing an increase in these hallucinations. This is something that's a little difficult to kind of piece out because we understand that she was experiencing them before. So this kind of goes back to what I said earlier. It's not necessarily that these symptoms haven't been present. They're just presenting in a more uh, kind of consistent or noticeable way. So we see her talking um, to a person that we don't see. She's seeing things that we don't see. She asks Kay uh, to look under her bed because she thinks that there's something there. These are all symptoms that can present with Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia. And so we see those kind of ramping up. The last piece of how Alzheimer's presents with Edna that I'll, I'll comment on here is her increased need of support around activities of daily living, which that is just a kind of catch-all term to describe things like eating, using the restroom, bathing, those types of things that individuals with a number of different uh, disabilities may need support with. We see her struggling with eating. You know, she uh, urinates all over the floor at some point where we haven't indicate we haven't had any indication that she was having issues with that previously. And in fact, that's one of the questions that the nurse towards the beginning of the film asks: Is you know, are, do you have any pain when you're going to the restroom? Uh, which can be uh, an indicator of why someone may be having some issues with that. So we're seeing some increased dependence of support around the activities of daily living. And that's obviously, you know, part and parcel of a progressive illness like Alzheimer's. All of this is obviously underscored by the growing mold around are three women, both within the home 
and on Edna. The bruise that she has on her chest is very much representative of that mold as well. And it's very clear um, used to represent the way that Alzheimer's progresses and it begins to kind of leach and spread into all aspects of daily life. And so we see Edna's bruise go from simply being a bruise to being decayed flesh that she is kind of clawing at. One thing I do want to talk about while we're still focused on Edna here for a couple of minutes is her relationship with a neighbor named Jamie. Jamie is an 18-year-old that lives next door who happens to have Down syndrome. He and Edna seem to have a close relationship and he would go over and spend some time with her. They were playing a game of hide-and-seek at one point. She locked him into a cupboard or cabinet and left him there for hours, having completely forgotten that she was playing this game and that she had even seen him. So this spurred the uh, family of Jamie to limit their interactions, which I think is a reasonable approach. But I think what didn't transpire that I think would have been important is to notify Kay, is to let Kay know about what happened. Because we have no indication to think that they have, you know, anything but a, a good relationship. She wasn't doing this out of malice, out of harm, out of any type of negativity. It was a product of her progressing condition. And so I think that it's, you know, it would have been really important to communicate that to Kay to say, hey, this is what happened. Think that there may be something going on because if those, if, if that would have transpired, it's very possible that Jamie could have continued to spend time with her. Maybe it would be supervised or maybe there would be some other things in place to make sure that both Edna and Jamie could enjoy their time together safely, but that was a step that wasn't taken. And so I think I'm sure, although Kay seems to have a sense that something has been going on, it's probably a bit overwhelming to her uh, to learn some of these things and Sam as well. And so that's kind of where I want to transition now is to talk about Sam and Kay and specifically about caregiving. Edna is living alone and independently, although we do know that she has regular communication kind of check-ins with Kay. But we learn at the beginning of the film that Kay hasn't checked in in a few weeks. Now, no one necessarily calls her out on that. No one says, oh, why didn't you talk to her more frequently? That's never stated, but you can tell that there's this guilt that as you realize that perhaps Edna had been struggling a bit more and Kay not 
being aware that Kate probably feels some sense of responsibility. If she had been checking in on her mom more, maybe she would have been able to uh, know what was going on a bit sooner or, or intervene a bit sooner before she went off missing. Another kind of aspect of this is the fact that we learned that the conversation that Kay had with her mom, the last conversation that she had had with her mom before her mom went missing a few weeks previously, was kind of alarming because her mom has said that she thinks that someone is trying to get into the house. Now, there's two things at play here, right? One is if I were to call a friend a family member, anyone, and say, you know, I think that someone is trying to break into my home. I think that that would elicit some concern or additional questions or, you know, what's going on? Is there anything that we can do? What, what, just more information is needed. It's not something to be dismissed, which we get a sense that Kay kind of did. When we're thinking about and focusing in on the progressive Alzheimer's aspect of it all, this goes into the hallucinations and thinking that someone is there that is not, and that could have been a a sign for Kay to be like, well, if, you know, if her mom had said something and she had checked in with a neighbor to say, well, you know, we have cameras outside the front of the house where we have these sensor lights and nothing's been triggered on our end. Doesn't seem like anything is happening. They, uh, you know, that could have been the indication that Kay needed that, okay, there's something else going on. So basically it's just a sign that there could have been some follow-up that may have helped get some interventions in place much sooner or been assigned to Kay that there was a need for that. We also get a sense that their relationship is a bit strained. No real, I think, full-fleshed-out description of the how, what's, and when's, and why's of that, but we just get that, you know, Kay is a single parent, has been a single parent, and, you know, cares about her mom, but just hasn't been, you know, as always present, and doesn't have that close relationship necessarily with her mom. And, again, we see kind of that guilt play out um, in a couple of different ways. We see just kind of pained looks on Kay's face when Sam is talking about moving in with Edna to take care of her because I think there's this thought or understanding, well, I'm the daughter. I should be the one that's taking care of her. And that's something that Sam even mentions. She makes a comment of, well, isn't that how it works? Like, your mom took care of you, and now you take care of your mom. And this is all around the fact that Kay has been kind of assessing some options that, you know, because she works and 
she's not going to always be able to be there with her mom, that an assisted living facility is the best option. A lot of individuals will experience shame if they are looking at, you know, putting their loved one into a home, even though that phrase isn't, I even have an issue with that phrase because usually it is a decision that everyone kind of comes to together. It isn't just, you know, forcing someone into a situation. It's about exploring what options there are because the most important thing is your loved one's comfort and safety. And if you are not going to be able to provide the kind of care that your loved one needs, then you need to figure out what other options there are to make sure that those care needs are met. And I think that that's simply what Kay is doing. She's assessing what these options are because she knows that her mom needs that additional support and Sam's a little bit judgmental. I think also Kay seems to have a slightly more uh, full understanding of what caregiving will entail. Sam is enthusiastic about I will move in with her, I will take care of her, and it's not going to be a problem. I don't think that Sam necessarily understands that these needs of care, the demands on her time, are only going to increase. This isn't going to simply be helping out here and there while everything else is fine we're dealing with a progressive condition that these needs are going to become even more amplified. And Sam needs to really assess that she is prepared to take on those, those duties and take on that role as caregiver. Where I think that Kay clearly has, I think, a much better sense of this isn't going to be a walk in the park. I think this is all perfectly kind of demonstrated in the ways that Kay and Sam react very differently to some of Edna's symptoms. And while it may sound like I'm being exceptionally harsh on Sam, I'm coming from a place of having been Sam. I think I've mentioned on the pod before, I took care of my grandfather uh, before he passed when he was diagnosed with bone cancer. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I just knew that I loved my grandpa with every fiber of my being and wanted to be there and wanted him to be safe and loved and cared for in his final days. And it was a huge learning process and it was scary and his condition progressed very quickly as well and I often felt while while I wasn't dealing with a lot of the specifics of that Sam would caring for someone with Alzheimer's there's just so much unknown and 
so much just second guessing yourself and being worried that you're not doing the best thing possible. And a lot of that can come with experience, life experience, where you're able to kind of navigate certain bits of that caregiving process a little bit easier because you simply have learned, oh, well, I need to do X. Here's how I can do X. Or someone that's younger may not have had that hands-on experience yet. So I just want to, to say that because I don't want it to sound like Sam isn't coming from the best place possible because she absolutely is. And living with her grandma and helping her is lovely. But the, I think, other component to this is that Edna doesn't agree to that. She doesn't want Sam living there. And while this, I think, does come at a moment, because Sam mentions, um, you know, moving to uh, the home. And I think it's, you know, when... Edna is in not a good place with her symptoms. I, you know, it's not something that Sam had necessarily asked about before. It's so important that you have these kinds of conversations about, well, what do you want? Um, you know, while also taking into uh, account the kind of care that is needed. There's, there has to be some kind of coming together of these elements. And that was something that with my grandpa was really important. We talked about, well, do you need to go into some kind of assisted living facility? Are the kind of medical care needs that you're going to have be more extensive than something I can do? But we talked through all of our various options and grandpa very much did not want to go into an assisted living facility. He wanted to be at home. And so we started there and started exploring what options would be possible for that to happen. And so you can't just say, well, this is what we're going to do. It happens that way sometimes, but it should always be a shared decision. I mentioned the complex relationships between the mothers and daughters in this film. But I think as we're talking about some of these challenging components of caregiving, it's important to come back to this. I have to go back to that comment that Sam makes that I mentioned earlier about basically, you know, your mom changed your nappies and now you change hers. And that's how it is. Caregiving and the relationships and dynamics involved are complicated because parent and children dynamics are often complicated. Any kind of familial relationship is complicated and that's what we're dealing with a lot of the times when we talk about family caregivers, although it doesn't have to be blood relatives, which connects to this idea as well. Relationships are just complicated. And, you know, an example of this is I've worked um, with organizations that provide supports for LGBTQ 
caregivers. And one of the complicated things that you see play out there are kids that are caring for older parents that they have difficult relationships with. These are parents that maybe disowned their child when they came out. Um, and there's just these huge rifts in the relationship. And now that child is put in a place of responsibility for that parent. This can be really painful and difficult. That goes without saying. And while this isn't the situation that we see playing out in Relic, it's we, we see the similar vibe with there being this tension between Edna and Kay. Again, we don't get a lot of the background of, of what that may be rooted in, but Edna does have a comment when giving Sam the ring, which I, I think is Edna's old wedding ring, and she makes a, an offhand comment, and I'm paraphrasing about how she would, you know, I'm not giving it to your mom because she already had her chance because we know that Kay is divorced. Um, so there's just kind of this uh, difficulty in relationships, and a lot of that is extremely common. You can absolutely adore your parents, but still have these bits of tension because that's how relationships function. People that you love and cherish and are the most important people in the world, you can still butt heads with them from time to time. And that's completely natural, normal, and healthy. And so, but you get this moment of, you know, kind of a dig from Edna. And I, I think it speaks to something that may be a little bit more pronounced that we just don't really get to see. But I bring all of that up just because, you know, these relationships that go into caregiving are so important and are just oftentimes uh, really kind of messy and complicated. So to kind of wrap up the conversation of Relic, I do want to talk about the end. So you get the moment where Edna is essentially in kind of her final moments. The Alzheimer's, the blackness has essentially completely consumed her physical form. And as she's laying on the floor, there's an opportunity for Sam and Kay to leave. And Sam exits. She leaves. And Kay gets to the door and then turns around. Now she had just seen the note that her mom had kind of pointed towards her. The one that says, I am loved. And I think again, playing on some of that guilt and um, all of those complex emotions that come with a parent-child relationship, I think that really hit Kay. And so she makes the choice to turn around and be with her mom in essentially her mom's final moments. She takes off kind of the remaining bits of skin and Edna is now a completely all-encompassed black extension of her Alzheimer's and is uh, 
uh, put tenderly into bed and Sam has rejoined, has come back into the house and they are all in bed together. And you, they're all kind of laying with Edna on one end of the bed with uh, Kay kind of facing her and then Sam behind Kay facing her so they all kind of have their backs to each other um, in that progression. So Sam sees a, the bruise, basically the very same kind of bruise that Edna had on her chest peeking out from her mom's, from the back of her mom's shirt. And while there's still a lot of unknowns around Alzheimer's, we do understand that there is a hereditary component to it and that if you have an immediate relative that has dealt with Alzheimer's, there is a likelihood that you will experience it as well. And so this is obviously an indication of, of that. And, you know, we've talked about the kind of complexities of hereditary illnesses and how that plays into care. So I, I imagine that it's a realization of Sam of not only her having to take on uh, the role of her, of her mom, essentially, and what they've just experienced with Edna, but that maybe it's inevitable that she will have that same fate down the line as well. And it's, again, when we're talking about all of the complex emotions of caregiving, that's part of it too. If you are caring for someone with a condition that is potentially going to be part of your life, your um kind of your health journey, then there's that added complexity to it. And, and it's such a, a beautiful, but kind of painful way to, to demonstrate that in this film. It's such a powerful moment and it's not overdone. It's just a, a very kind of quick and simple, but really powerful powerful moment and I think it's one of the reasons that I really really love this film I've watched it now um, a few times and it just really I think hits a certain place for me and I I, I, I found it increasingly powerful as I've continued to watch it so if you haven't checked it out and and I hope that this episode has encouraged you to do so if you haven't, please, please do. It's one of those 90-minute gems that everyone seems to be on the pursuit for. Um, so I highly recommend giving it uh, a, a check out if you are so inclined. And I think that will wrap us up for this episode and our conversation on Relic. I hope that you guys liked this episode I was really excited to go back and talk about age and disability. It's something I'm really passionate about because it's part of my day-to-day -day work. And 
there's so much to talk about and to discuss. So I hope I, I kind of did at least some of it justice, but I really found this film incredibly powerful and definitely worth a watch. Bodies of Horror is a very proud member of the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. So make sure that you are subscribed to Anatomy of a Scream wherever you get your podcast if you haven't already done so. As I say every week, if you're here, I'm going to assume that you're probably uh, subscribed. But if not, if on the off chance that you're you're not already subscribed, please do because beyond Bodies Before There is amazing content on the feed on a regular basis. So, so many great shows, so many great voices, and I feel really honored uh, to be just part of part of that group. And of course, make sure to follow Anatomy of a Scream on Twitter. All of that information can be found in the show notes. If you want to reach out to me, please do. You can shoot me an email at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com. I had someone shoot me an email this past week, and it was so kind, so nice, and they uh, recommended a film for me to to get into here on the pod, and I'm so excited for that. So that will be coming up. I don't want to say too much because I, I like it to kind of be a surprise, but um, that will be on the sketch. I'll just say that. So know that I, I so appreciate uh, the feedback and those recommendations. Just absolutely amazing, and I'm, I'm so grateful. And just thank you for being here, for listening. It means so much to me. I know I say it all the time, but it just can't be stated enough. The fact that you are taking some time to listen to me chat and ramble about things is just most of the time beyond my comprehension. So I truly appreciate you being here. And with that, until next time. Scream Pod Squad.